What is it? It's your future. It's called a Stargate. Chevron 7 locked. Welcome to Walking Through the Stargate. I'm Brent. And I'm Zach. This is episode 102, and we'll be talking about Stargate SG-1's episode 48 hours. There's a lot of numbers in there, too. 48 hours. Lots of it. All right. We are an independent podcast. Thank you so much for subscribing and listening. Uh, It is a delight to have so many of you along on our fantastic journey. That's a song. Fantastic journey. Something. Uh, you can help keep this thing completely independent if you wish. Uh, we have a Patreon that you can sign up for, and there's some goodies in there if you would like to do that, including uh, Patreon first uh, episodes of uh, uh, Beyond the Gate with uh, Zach and David. And no, no, the psych- other side of the gate. Yeah, thank you. The other side of the gate with Zach and David. And <laughs> I don't listen to you guys' show. It's full of spoilers. That All I do true. is just post it. Yep. I get the files. I throw it on the thing. I... I just do what I'm told. But then there's the other one, Stargate Second Chances, where Zach and I revisit episodes based off of your guys' input. Uh, We've had a couple of those already, and we've got a third one that we're going to be doing here in a week or two, two weeks, I think. Um, It'll be happening relatively shortly. And every dollar that we get on Patreon goes to supporting Zach's computing device, which he had to replace almost a year ago. But you know what? Still, it's these things are expensive, friends. But they anyway, are expensive. Yep, yep. so uh, you can find us uh, on there for that goody stuff. But you will always be able to find our content wherever podcasts are sold: um, Google Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, Apple Podcasts. Uh, podcast aggregators are the main thing that I recommend, just because that's my cup of tea. Um, we had posited the question out there a while ago, like, is Spotify trying to monetize our things by jamming ads in there? We had, uh, I think brother Tim said, nope, um, listens to it on Spotify and there are no ads getting jammed in there. Thank you very much. Um, if you're picking up what I'm putting down friends, if you are listening to one of our episodes and all of a sudden you hear a break and some other voice comes on and says, have you ever considered your coffee beans? Maybe you should try blah, blah, blah. Let me know, please. <laughs> please let me know. <laughs> that is not uh, how we do things. So, um, no. Nope. Anyway. Yep. Um, yeah. So, Zach, uh, if somebody wanted to let me know if they were getting ads in their feed or for me to just stop blathering about it and just get on with it, how might they... How would they let us know? So if you want to share your thoughts about what Brent is and isn't doing and, you know, uh, <laughs> alleviate his concerns and fears in life, uh, then you can do that by emailing us at walkingthroughthestargate at gmail.com, which is W-A-L-K-I-N-G-T-H-R-O-U-G-H-D-H-E-S-T-A-R-G-A-T-E at gmail.com. Nice. Or you can go to Twitter at Stargate Walking and say, at Stargate Walking, hey, Brent, I'm getting something, such and such from you and blah, 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 blah. Danger, Will Robinson, danger. And and then he'll get that information and, and <laughs> that would, that'll be fun. That would be a pretty sweet tweet. <laughs> I got to tell you. <laughs> and so, blah, 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 danger, Will Robinson. <laughs> so if you want to just make Brent giggle, you mm-hmm. go ahead and you, you, you know, rewind the podcast and put yep. that into a tweet and toss yep. that out at him and and yep. and he will just uh giggle uh and I enjoy it giggle. so yeah um <laughs> uh you can also find us on facebook with walking through the stargate facebook page and facebook group yep. uh of course uh there's also our website wtts.space.space.space 
Julie says that I had to do that now because it's just not cool to say WTTS dot space. You have to go dot space. Dot space. Like that. Makes sense. Yeah. I'm absolutely. always referring to there's this um, sentient ball that is in a video game that when you get all the way through to the end of the video game, there's a little, I guess it's a bit of a, of a, of a, of a stinger at the end, but whatever. It's like a wrap up scene and uh there's 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 one sentient ball that's a friend and then there's another sentient ball that's an idiot and the idiot ball floats by in space and it's just like space so every time i'm doing that i'm thinking of the idiot sentient ah uh, well there you go julie was yep. thinking lost in space yes i'm thinking you know. that the idiot sentient ball is a riff on lost in space oh yeah absolutely absolutely right. so there's also a, a board game out there called clank in space mm-hmm. And everybody uh-huh. who talks about Clank in space is like, Clank in space! <laughs> so, there you go. That makes all the sense in the world, yeah. Um, and if you can't remember WTTS.space, you can also go to walkingthroughthestargate.com, and that'll get yes. you to the same place. Yes. Um, and, of course, there's also our Patreon page, uh, patreon.com slash walkingthroughthestargate. There you can uh, sign up to be a patron. Uh, we've got several different levels available to you. Uh, each of them provides a certain number of votes each month for a rewatch recount of our episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that would be the Stargate Second Chances podcast that, we, that Brent mentioned earlier. So, yep. Brent, we have... Yes. A tally here. So here's our tally oh. right now. Okay. Stargate the movie has two votes, and as soon oh, as any of yeah. these hits ten votes, that's the that's the magic number. Ten votes. Yep. And we'll rewatch it. Uh, Emancipation one. The Knox one. Bane four. We're moving <laughs> up on Bane. Uh, Touchstone two. Seth uh-huh. one. Forever in a oh, day yeah. two. Ergo uh-huh. gets one vote. Hey, one hundred nice. days yes. has three. Beneath uh-huh. the surface has one. Tangent yeah. three. The light okay. has received two. Oh, and yeah. then, of course, uh, as was mentioned in the past, 2010 does have 10 votes. Yep. And uh, we have now finally been able to get a recording session of that on the calendar. Uh, yes. So all other things being equal, early February, dear Patreon listeners, you will uh, receive that in your ear holes. In your ear holes. Yes. So... <laughs> Uh, if you want to participate in uh, the voting for these things, if you want to uh, encourage us to vote for, uh, to rewatch an episode, uh, either because you thought that our uh, episode uh, ratings were just absolutely egregious and we need yeah. to reevaluate, or because you think it'd just be a great episode to rewatch after having seen more of the series, whatever it is. Um, you know, join us on Patreon and you can participate with that. Also, when we hit, yes. if we, assuming we get to $75 a month, if That's we right. get to $75 a month uh, of Patreon uh, donations, then we will start watching the Stargate animated series Infinity and yeah. uh, adding on to the Yuck. Patreon feed uh, a podcast about that. So, Yep. That is what's <laughs> happening there. Yes. All right. Shall we then, Brent, dig into this episode? 
48 hours? 48 yes. hours. And Let's this is not it. going to be a 48-hour podcast, just so you Heck know. Heck no. Jeez, nope. editing, that would take me forever. No, let's get into it. All right. So the director for this episode is Peter F. West. This is his mm-hmm. first and his only episode he's directed this season. However, hmm. he has directed a few other episodes. He directed The Light and mm-hmm. Maternal Instinct in previous seasons. Mm-hmm. And he's got, uh, if I counted correctly, eight episodes in the future that he directs. He gotcha. is typically one of the guys that uh, is behind the camera in some capacity. Um, you know, so he does a lot with the show and and such, but uh, he's not one of their standard directors, but he does direct mm-hmm. somewhat, you know, some, some stuff. Uh, the teleplay for this episode is Robert C. Cooper. This is Robert's third of five teleplay credits this season. He mm-hmm. wrote Enemies, and he wrote Ascension, and he's got a couple of more episodes coming. Very good. All right. Now, we have several guest actors in this episode. This episode is jam-packed with guest actors. We have John Delancey as Colonel Frank Simmons. We have Gary Chalk returning as Colonel Chekhov. We have Bill Marchant returning as Adrian Conrad slash the Gua Wooled. We have Colin Cunningham as Major Paul Davis. We have Tom McBeath showing up again as Harry yep. Mayborn. And, of course, we've got Radar, uh, Gary Jones yep. uh, as yeah. Radar slash Walter Harriman. And, of course, um, uh, Sergeant Siler is back. Dan Shea is in this yep. episode. This is jam-packed with people. And we have a new actor that we are introducing in this episode. We have David Hewlett, who plays Dr. Rodney McKay. <laughs> so oh. Oh. He, he was born in uh april of 1968 in red hill surrey england mm-hmm. uh, he's an actor and a writer known for the shape of water rise of the rise of the planet of the apes and of course stargate atlantis mm-hmm. uh, we'll talk a little bit more on that in just a minute uh he did go to, he went to high school with director vincenzo natali and has appeared in five of his films. Oh, um, nice. He also worked with uh, Andrew Miller uh, and suggested uh, Andrew Miller to Natalie for the movie Cube in 1997. Hmm. Um, so originally, Dr. McKay, in fact, this episode, we don't actually get a first name. It's just Dr. McKay. We you just, you know, uh, gotcha. he, this yeah. was a character that was just originally designed to be a one-time guest star in this episode. Boom, mm-hmm. there it is. Um, and if we never saw Rodney McKay again, uh, we would uh, be able to uh, appreciate this character in whatever way we want to appreciate him. Uh-huh. Uh, now, uh, they liked the character enough, um, and they liked uh, David Hewlett's performance of the character, that they decided that he needed to come back in a future episode next season. So we will okay. see Dr. McKay return to SG-1. And then mm-hmm. when the show's creators were casting for their spinoff series, Stargate Atlantis, in 2004, uh, they invited him in to do a read-through for actually a different role. However, uh, as things progressed, they decided that uh, he would come back as McKay. Uh, and so it was hmm. then in uh, the first season, first episode of Stargate Atlantis, where we uh, learned that his name is Rodney McKay in that so uh there you go uh i was trying to decide 
um, whether or not I could try to, you know, because like when you first watch this episode, he's just a throwaway character, just this one off and that's it. And then he comes back and he comes back and then he becomes very developed in, in Atlantis and all of that stuff. And I was trying to think, um, do I try to hide that from you? And I'm like, no, there's just no way of doing that. So we're just going to lean into it. Um, yeah. Okay. A uh, couple uh, of things about <laughs> uh, David Hewlett. Yeah. Uh, in 2009, I mentioned that he was born in England. Uh, he yeah. spent a good deal of time in Canada. And in 2009, he became a U.S. citizen. Hmm. Um, and then his first IMDb credit came in 1984 when he played Howard in an episode of The Edison Twins. Well, okay. So there you go. Now. There you go. Uh, do you want to talk about t- David Hewlett now or do you want to wait to later? Well, I've got opinions about Dr. McKay. Okay. But David Hewlett did just a brilliant job. Yes. Yeah. All right. Like, superb. Awesome. Okay, so we'll talk more about McKay in a little bit. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, yes, we will. The original (laughs) air date. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the original air date uh, for 48 Hours was March 15, 2002. Mm-hmm. Uh, number one on the charts in the U.S. was still Ain't It Funny by Jennifer Lopez. You know, Ain't mm-hmm. It Funny that it's still on top. Um, and quite frankly, in the U.K., they were still listening to Anything Is Possible slash Evergreen. So clearly, anything <laughs> is possible. possible. Yeah, right. Um, so uh, Will Young, as I was looking this thing up, so I, uh, and by all means... Uh, listeners who know better than me, correct me if I'm wrong, but like I, I'm like 98% sure the reason that song is number one because it was, oh, I can't remember what show it was. It wasn't like, it wasn't Britain got ta- Britain's Got Talent. It was one of those shows. Okay. Where uh, th- this guy with that song won the the show, won the, won the competition. Ah. So that's why it's like number one on the charts. So everyone was just going nuts for that song at that point. It's so good, so dreamy. Ah, well, so you take all of that and you save it and you save it by putting it on ice in a giant ice age. Oh. All right. Oh. And here's the reality is that when you put crazy things on ice like that, inevitably it comes back to bite you, which is what happens in Resident Evil. And Resident Evil, uh, you know, I mean, it's a movie that lasts a long time. And every time you get a new episode, a new uh, movie come out, you're like, whoa, showtime. Let's get this thing started. Um, Which is number three. Uh, (laughs) Number four is the time machine. And after you've watched several episodes, uh, several movies of Resident Evil, you just want to take your time machine, go back and watch it again from the beginning as if it's the first time. And you realize Uh, that in the episode, they are all soldiers against the zombies. uh, We were soldiers. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Well done. So so, there, there you go. There you go. They all lined up. Yep, 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 yep. Okay, so in any case, what was happening around the 15th of March, 2002? On the 12th of March, the U.S. crime series The Shield, starring Michael Chiklis, premieres on FX. Mm-hmm. Now, beyond this premiering on FX and all of that stuff, it you know, so um, in 2002, Julie and I moved to Japan, mm-hmm. and we were in Japan for a couple of years, and it was probably in Japan 
where I was most readily able to really start sinking my teeth into Stargate SG-1. Mm-hmm. I loved the show before. I wanted to watch the show, but, you know. So here's the thing. When you're living in a foreign country, um, you don't have access to a lot of English-speaking stuff. Um, but what you, when you do have access to it, you watch it because that's what's available to you. Sure. And our predecessors, because we were working at a school, and there was a couple that was departing, and we were taking their place. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and we and since the, the apartment they were living in was uh, controlled by the school, uh, we were moving into the apartment that they had. Uh, talked to them a little bit briefly before they left. Uh, they left us a whole bunch of VHS tapes. Mm-hmm. A whole bunch of VHS tapes of various English-speaking shows that they had recorded over their time, including a whole bunch of Stargate SG-1 shows, which nice. is where we were able to uh, really sink our teeth into at that point in time. But one of the shows that was regularly available on uh, Japanese sh- uh, TV at that time was The Shield. And in, in mm. Japanese, they go, The shield <laughs> and and so, you know, I was just imagining, you know, like every time uh, we would turn on the TV and like a lot of commercials in, in, in the videos of such of the Stargate were ads for the Shieldo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, so there yep. you have it. There you go. Uh, there's my connection to that. I've actually never really watched the Shield, uh, so yeah, I can't no, speak I. anything about it. Nope. Nope. All right. So on the 16th, of March. One day after this episode airs, Oscar-winning entertainer Liza Minnelli, who was 56 at the time, weds producer David Guest, 48, at the Marble Collegiate Church in New York City. So, congratulations. Congratulations. Yep. On the 17th of March, WrestleMania 18 airs in the Sky Dome in Toronto, Ontario. 68,237 uh-huh. people present. Triple H beats Chris Jericho for the undisputed <laughs> WWF heavyweight title. Woo! Did I ever tell you that a couple of years ago I went to a professional wrestling match? Not not this level, not a WWE thing. But uh, like regional, like okay, perfect. Oh, it was a delight. It <laughs> was a delight. Because what ends up happening? It first off, everybody who's there, they're like fans of the troop, basically the traveling troop. Um, you know this, this this group of this group of 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 stunt wrestlers who go around and do, do these shows. So everybody who shows up, they all like know their stories and blah blah. blah. It's great fun, right, right? Right. And you know, there's only like a hundred of I don't know, whatever. There's not very many spectators in the audience, so it's like you're right, you're right, you're right next to the action. But it's really really fun to watch um, the athleticism, to watch athletic stunt performers do stunts in your face, like. Mm. Mm-hmm. It was great. And, you know, of course it was all, it was hilariously over the top in many respects. Um, but it was a lot of fun. So anyway, so I, when I was back in 2002, I would have been all like, Psh, WrestleMania, Bleh, stupid. It's not even real. Like, but now with the wisdom of age, I can now yes. go back and say like, no, it's fun. So what you're Quit. saying is you need a time machine. Oh, to a That's time what where we call pretended that they were soldiers. a callback. Oh, zing! <laughs> there you go. Yeah, you know, 
Um, you know, when I was young, uh, like in middle school and early high school, I would watch wrestling, professional wrestling, and mm-hmm. I knew it was, you know, fake and, and all that stuff, sure. but it was fun. Uh, it didn't take long, though, as I began to age that I'm like, eh, b- boring, whatever, who cares? Um, it, the, the joy I had had far more to do with the spectacle of the event itself. Right. Like, Watching it was less enjoyable than being a part of it. Right. Um, but still, when you think about it, and, and you know, now as I have gotten older, uh, I know more about how things like physics work. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes. And, you know, the, the ability for those two people uh, or more uh, to put on a show that uh, looks realistic and yet is... I mean, you know, there's the guy who's being thrown can only be thrown if he helps. The yes. guy who is doing the throwing has no prayer of lifting that guy up off the ground in a suplex or blah blah blah, and you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, w- and slamming him to the ground if he's not helping. Um, and and so just the the way of of that interplay and the communication and the way they they talk about things and, yeah. and make it happen is really impressive. So yeah, and the improvisation, yeah. Yep. It was fun. I had a great time. Cool. I look forward to a safe opportunity to do it again. Ah, well, maybe someday we'll have that opportunity. Maybe someday. Mm. All right. And finally, on March 18, the Ramones are inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Hey, ho, let's go. Hey, ho, trick or treat. Okay. Go team. Go team. Yep. All right. Trivia. Trivia for this episode. (laughs) The good news is that how I edit this thing is going to make that pause seem like a micro, but not very long at all. But ah, you and well, me know that we, that that my that that what I just did apparently just stalled the whole thing. Out. <laughs> <laughs> Make sure the pause stays just a little bit longer than you would normally do that. So that maybe so. Realize. I'll see if I can. You know the way the way that it all works out is that I is that I, I get rid of the pauses at the end after I've done everything else. So maybe I'll put a special bookmark in there to kind of ah, stretch. Well, it there you go. Cool. There you go. And now you have a backstage pass into Brent's editing techniques. Yes. Ooh. There you go. All right. So trivia for this episode. Yeah. Uh, this episode marks the death of Tanith. <laughs> now, now here, there, there's actually a story behind this. There oh, was there better really, be. So they wanted, you know, this, the death of Tanith. And, you know, to be this epic battle between Tanith and Teal'c and all of that stuff. Yeah. But they were struggling with... And it probably wouldn't have been this specific episode that that happened in. No! But but they were struggling with the actor. And ultimately, the actor was asking for more than they could afford. More than they wanted ah, to pay for it. And gotcha. they couldn't just let this uh, linger. They had to close this up and since they weren't able to get the actor they had to kill him and so this is how they did it in fact uh when you see tanith in the alkesh at the beginning that's is a he cg like, yeah a cg picture wondering. of it <laughs> he was superimposed to that so oh gosh um, oh dear yep uh, okay stick a pin in that we need to come back to that right so you know i i agree with you that that the death of 
Tanith in this way is rather anticlimactic. Uh, uh, and uh, but when you know the backside of things, there's not much that you can do about it. I mean, it not makes much. you know because they're absolutely right. They do need to find a way to bring that storyline to a close. And uh, if you can't get the actor back because of contract problems and such, you got to find something that you can do. And usually what that means is that it's like, hey, look at that. He died. Yep. Oh, okay. So there you go. There you go. Anyway, there uh, you this go. episode was originally titled Teal'c Interrupted. <laughs> uh, but later they decided to change it to 48 Hours. Yeah. Teal'c Interrupted. Yep. Um, the weapon that Teal'c uses to take down Tanith in the Alkesh um, is... Uh, uh, from a downed death glider. We saw that in the episode Fifth Man, right? You remember yep. that? Mm-hmm. And he pulls sure that giant thing off the death glider and, and now he's carrying it with him at this point in time. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, as I mentioned before, McKay's first name is not actually revealed in this episode, um, but we do learn in the uh, for the series premiere of Stargate Atlantis that his first name is Rodney. A couple of mm-hmm. episodes later, you actually find out that his actual first name is Meredith. He's Meredith mm. Rodney McKay, but mm-hmm. he goes by Rodney. Yes. There you go. Um, also, finally, uh, the two security guards are named Paul and Joe. Like, you know, Joe, where's Joe? Paul, go find oh, Joe yeah, yeah. and Peter. Take Peter with you. <laughs> right. <laughs> which, which are, of course, references to Malazzi and Molly and... Yep. Uh, uh, either Deloise or West or, you know, any of the yep. other Peters that are part of this show. Um, yep. So there you go. Um, Joe Malazzi does have a quote here. Um, the working title for this episode was Teal Interrupted, but later changed to 48 Hours. I was extremely disappointed. I figured, hey, if we can call an episode Watergate, you should be able to call another episode Teal Interrupted. Right. The episode kicks off with the shocking death of Tanith, shocking insofar as he was a mid-major villain who suddenly and all too quickly bites it in a spectacularly unspectacular fashion. Uh-huh. From what I recall, we were unable to reach a deal with the actor on another episode and, rather than leave the character dangling, elected to write him out instead. This episode also saw the introduction of one Dr. Rodney McKay. Uh, Rodney? I remember asking Rob at the time, is that the name you want to go with? An insufferable ass who, over the course of the franchise's run, ended up redeeming himself in surprising fashion. There you go. Good to know. Okay, I will... uh, I I recognize that that's technically spoilery, but... Uh, Yeah. Um, Oh, boy. I I will say this, and we can talk more about that, but uh, as I was re-watching it this time especially, uh, I'm like... Oh my! Ah! Uh, oh! Oh! Oh my! Uh, yeah. Uh, uh. And and yet, so I have familiarity with Rodney both in future episodes of Stargate and also Atlantis, and um, uh, they do a really good job, I think, of moving the character, uh, such that he still has that that sharp edge that you get here that that mm-hmm. makes you just wanna cringe or hit him upside the head or you know 
all of those things, and yet he's also becomes a, a redeemable, you know, a, a character that you can root for, especially when you get to Atlantis and all of that stuff. So, okay, that's good to know because, yeah, we'll get into it probably a little bit more, but I definitely was uh, in the in the camp of um, less sucking on a lemon, more here's a lemon and there's your throat, and this is yeah. going to go into that, yeah, and that's going to be the end of it. Yep. Um, this episode. Uh, titled 48 Hours in English, is called 48 Hours in French and Italian and Spanish and Czech and Hungarian. And in German, it's called 48 Hours. Ah, nuts. So I hope they would have, uh, they should have called, instead of calling it Teal Interrupted, they should have called it Teal Reintegrates. <laughs> there you Don't go. worry, Teal is fine. <laughs> <laughs> Everything is A okay. Everything works out. <laughs> there you go. Yep. Okay. Shall we dig into the synopsis for this episode? Yeah, let's get into it. All right. Run! Oh, no. Ah! The gliders are making a strafing run as our intrepid heroes sprint to the gate. Run, run. <laughs> Daniel begins dialing the gate. The others point their weapons at the sky and begin fire. Tilk uses his giant death glider blaster and blows the gliders out of the sky, or at least some of them. The wormhole opens. The Alkesh rises above the horizon with Tanith piloting it. Daniel and Sam run through the gate. The Alkesh fires again. Again and again. O'Neill is knocked down, but don't worry. He gets up again. He makes it to the gate and jumps through. Tilk moves toward the gate and sees Tanith piloting the Alkesh. And with one... Well-placed shot. The cockpit of the Alkesh explodes, killing the Guauld, and the whole ship comes crashing down toward the gate. Tilk steps through. The Alkesh crashes. The gate shuts down. Back on Earth, Daniel, Jack, and Sam stand waiting for their friend when they witness the gate shutting down. Tilk was right behind them. He should be there. Um, he's not here. It's time to go back and see what went wrong. Okay, so mm-hmm. in the operations room, radar begins the dialing process. Chevron 1 encoded. Chevron 2 first. Uh, uh, they're going to attempt to radio contact. Then, if they need to, they're going to send a map. And then, they're going to return to the planet and save their friend. But Chevron 3 encoded. Uh, ra- uh, uh, sirs, there's an unknown error. Um... Huh, what's this? Sam realizes in the quick time it takes to dial seven chevrons, apparently very slowly this time around. Sam realizes <laughs> that something is wrong with the Stargate itself. It's not the dialing computer. The Major advises they abort the dialing and assess the situation. Teal'c's rescue will have to wait. In the briefing room, Daniel and General Hammond discuss what happened on the planet. Gould secret base... Tanith, Tokra giving them intel, Jaffa revenge thing, etc., etc., etc. Oh boy. Sam soon arrives and reveals what the error was. Tilk's energy signal is still in the gate. That's what caused the error. It's like the Alkesh, it's likely the Alkesh hit the DHD when it crashed and cut off power prematurely because, and because the SGC doesn't have their own DHD, there wasn't enough power to complete the transfer of Tilk's pattern, and it gets worse. If they dial out or anyone dials in, Tilk's pattern will be erased permanently. Oh no. oh, no! 
They need to adjust the iris so that the gate will function as if it has been buried. That will prevent other people from dialing in. Siler can finish the modifications in an hour. Okay. Unfortunately, they have several teams currently off-world. Well, time to talk with the Russians. Hammond sends Daniel and Major Davis to Moscow to negotiate with the Russians, while Sam begins the arduous process of trying to figure out how to get Teal'c back. The Russians agree to help retrieve all the SGC's off-world teams, and then the negotiations really occur. Neither side have lived up to past agreements, and both sides want as much as they possibly can get from the other. Jackson and Davis want the Russians' DHD. Uh, it's likely going to be the only thing that will help them get Teal'c back. It's also the ace in the hole that the uh, Russians try to hold over the SGC. The Russians want access to all the technology developed from off-world exploration, including, but not limited to, Naquita generator technology. Hammond arrives in the mess hall to talk with Jack. Jack is utterly exhausted. You know, concussion, stitches, the whole line yards. Mm -hmm. And he is sleeping on the table. The colonel ruse the whole Jaffa revenge thing. If Teal'c had just followed orders, none of this would be happening. Recognizing that O'Neill needs sleep, the general orders him to go home. Departing the mess hall, Hammond heads back to the briefing room, where he discovers the unpleasant truth that Colonel Frank Simmons has arrived accompanied by Dr. McKay. McKay is introduced as the foremost expert on the Stargate. He's also a big fat jerk. 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 Jerk face. He points out all kinds of flaws in the dialing program Carter designed. Simmons is hopeful that McKay and Carter, uh, with their powers combined, can work together to save Teal'c in the time allotted. 48 hours, at which time Hammond will be ordered to continue normal Stargate operations. Jack obeys his commanding officer's order and he heads home, stopping for gas along the way. While there, he runs into an old friend, none other than Harry Mayborn. Jack, Jack. is livid! believing that Mayborn shot him the last time they met, making sure that to keep the truck between them, I didn't shoot you, Jack. Come on, Jack. Mayborn denies shooting Jack, expresses sympathies about Teal'c, and warns about Simmons. Whatever Simmons has in mind, it won't be good for Teal'c or for the SGC. And if Jack wants to talk further, he can find Mayborn at the Accent Inn under the name Cassidy. Not David... Not Sean, but Butch. Butch Cassidy. In her lab, Carter is busy working on the problem when McKay wanders in. They instantly clash again, mostly because, well, McKay is still a jerk. Jerk! Jerk! Their verbal sparring is interrupted by a call from Daniel. They definitely need the DHD to get Teal'c back, but negotiations aren't going so well. You know, if we want the DHD, we kind of have to give them Alaska, which (laughs) isn't going to happen. (laughs) Simmons arrives in Hammond's office and closes the door. Turning to face the general, he simply bribes and blackmails the general. I can save your friend, but... I'm going to want something in return for the information. Hammond tries to count all of the ways that uh, Simmons is breaking the law. Mm -hmm. 
Apparently, Simmons wants a Google hand device, which just kind of tips his hand that he, in fact, has a Google who could potentially use a hand device. Jack turns to Mayborn. They need to find out where Simmons is getting his information. Likely that Gould, who took over Adrian Conrad's body, uh, you know, a few weeks ago, months ago, whatever it was, Mayborn then is able to hack into the NID, bouncing the signal off of a dizzying array of satellites and the like, um, because that's what you do. And after some work, discovers that Simmons made a stop in Minot, North Dakota. And that's likely the place where the Gould is being held. So, Jack and Mayborn take a trip to North Dakota. In Russia, Major Davis is not impressed with what the Russians have to offer, but Daniel suggests that maybe they ought to consider a compromise. In the mess hall, Carter and McKay are having lunch together, with the two still debating over the Stargate as they try to form a plan to save Teal'c from the Stargate. During the meal, Carter discovers that the 48-hour deadline was derived from McKay's suppositions. McKay thinks Teal'c is already dead, that his energy signature has already decayed beyond viability. Carter dis- departs the table in disgust. Suck a lemon. At an NID safe house in Minot, North Dakota, Jack and Mayborn take down the operatives. You know, Paul, Joe, Peter. Mm-hmm. Uh, they find the Gould in a locked cell. Jack tries to get the Gould to talk, shooting him once with a Zat gun, threatening to kill him. But the Gould is stubborn and reveals that, frankly, Simmons was far better at this than O'Neill. Jack looks around and sees the surveillance camera. Taking a different tack, Jack and Mayborn search for the surveillance videos. Finding the right tape, they find the information they're looking for. Daniel puts all the cards on the table in Moscow with ne- while negotiating with the Russians and manages to convince them finally to at least loan them the DHD. Colonel Chekhov can come to Colorado Springs too, if you want. At the SGC, Sam informs Hammond that the DHD is coming from Russia. Unfortunately, without specifics at this point in time on how to use the DHD, it's not enough. Hammond has been ordered to resume operations. Fortunately, before the gate can be dialed and Teal'c's energy signature raced for all time, Sam receives the needed phone call from Colonel Jack O'Neill with the needed information. She stops the dialing process and reveals the incriminating evidence against Simmons. Simmons is arrested, and the team prepares to save their friend. Huzzah! Hooray! After watching the video, however, from the Gould in the briefing room, uh, the Gould in his cell, but they're watching the video in the briefing room, McKay protests. If you do what he suggested, this is a joke, right? You understand this is a joke. He's trying to blow you up, right? Because if you do this, the whole mountain is going to explode. It's impossible. It won't work. But Carter believes safeguards can be put in place to minimize the risks. McKay continues his incredulous ramblings, but he is interrupted by the general with his new orders. McKay, you're going to go to Russia to oversee the Nakoda generator technology in the Russian hands. Wait, 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 wait. You can't order me around, says McKay. I'm not military. Ah, but you are on the Air Force payroll, so you go where we tell you to go or, you know. Mm Mm-hmm. The team proceeds with the rescue plan. O'Neill, Hammond, Chekhov, Jackson, Davis watch from the control room while Carter and Siler finish the work on the DHD. Are you sure you want to be in there when we try this? 
It doesn't matter, sir, whether I'm here or up there. If the this blows up, the whole mountain's gone. Good point. Good point. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Okay, so with everything ready to go, they flip the switch. Everything powers on. The gate's event horizon opens. Teal'c steps through as if no time has passed. And then the gate shuts down. There's a large surge of power and the DHD explodes. No, no. So much for the DHD that that, uh, well, that never happened in any of the simulations. But at least the mountain is still here. So that there's a plus. Teal'c is happy. He has his revenge. Tanith is dead. And uh, what has happened here? As they head off, Jack tells Teal'c that he owes his life to a Gould. Teal'c denies that it's even possible that he could possibly owe his life to a Gould as they walk away happily ever after. Well, uh, or or, or at least until next week. Ah. The end. The end. So, Brent. Mm Mm-hmm. 48 hours. Yeah. What'd you think? Um... This podcast episode might run 48 hours because, boy, was there a lot in this one. Yes. Like a lot. I found it really challenging to write that synopsis because there is as much stuff happening in this episode as, like, two standard episodes. Uh, So, as I was kind of thinking back on this episode, I was... Okay, let me just start it off. Just, just, Just kind of start where I normally start, which is like... Um, I have a complex feeling about this one, but it's mostly positive. Um, at the end of the episode, I was very like jazzed about the 42 minutes of television that I had watched previously. But Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think a big part of it had to do with all of the techno babble that happened. Um, (laughs) like this episode, um... I think I like this episode because I am viewing it as an episode about the gate. And there's an awful lot of stuff that happens, but all of those things that happen just add up to information about the gate and how it works and and what what, you know, like element just just more information about the technology itself. Mm-hmm. When I was when I was growing up and watching TNG, I always loved it whenever the characters would get into techno babble because that was the thing that I actually found most interesting. I was interested in imagining what life would be like in the 24th century living on a starship powered by dilithium crystals. And in this episode, um, I got to see what the wormhole looks like when you are looking at it head on. The little uh-huh. like concentric ring thing that kind of looks like a bit of an echo of the gate room sort of. Um we got to see what the event horizon looks like if there isn't a wormhole attached to it. We got to understand how the gate itself functions with um, these kind of almost throwaway comments that Sam was saying regarding like the crystal structures or whatever inside the gate itself, blah, blah, blah. Uh, we got to see how the DHD interacts with the gate, how the DHD is, is I guess, pow- powered, maybe, or maybe the power is controlled to the master control crystal. Um, we got to um, appreciate how... Uh, how the gate actually engages with the information that goes from the origin originating gate to the exter- uh, to the, to the um, from the originating to the receiving gate, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. We got to learn how a um, how a pretty big attack vessel can be downed by a single blaster bolt from a gl- death glider, which again 
only serves my grumblings about how the Gould really are stinky at this because they're it's like the uh, the single missile down the exhaust port. Like it's it's amazing what can take these things out. But whatever, learn that. I, I'll I'll point I'll push back just a just a little bit on that. That even in today's world, if I manage to get a sufficient missile shot into the cockpit of your big bad awesome ship, it's still going to go down. Fair. I push back on your retort by saying if you blow off the bridge of a warship, it's still going to be able to keep going and blow you up. Well, that's assuming that you didn't kill the only pilot of the ship. Which is, again, ridiculous. I hear you, um, but he was going after people with a battleship. <laughs> like, he was, like I was, as, as the shots were coming in, I'm like, that's the equivalent of using, like, the, the big giant guns on a battleship to try to hit like like people on a beach. Like you use those guns to hit like installations. You use littler guns to hit people. Whatever. Doesn't matter. It, it, it was enjoyable in the bad way. In the whole like, oh, come on. But whatever. It happened. Okay. Um, it was uh, epic. Ah, I hear. I know what you are saying there, but I again disagree. No, it wasn't. It was very anticlimactic. It had to happen because we had to write off an actor who was asking for too much money. <laughs> okay, fine. Yes, but still, it was like a big flipping deal, and of course, it was the seed to create the problem that was resolved in the episode. Great. Um, so that all happened within this episode. That was a ton of information that I really enjoyed getting. Oh, yeah, we also learned about the gate dialing program and about how it's actually chock full of flaws. And, yes, we have seen uh, errors being overridden and, and being ignored. And it all works out fine. And, you know, up until this point, it's always been like, yeah, you know, just the scrappy people trying to make this thing work. Woohoo! And but when, you know, you all know me, I'm I'm kind of like, you know, I was on Team Simmons for a minute. Um, you know, the, the notion of, yeah, this thing is actually was something that was reverse engineered and therefore is probably a little dangerous. Mm -hmm. And so we get this jackass of a person who is like, Oh my goodness, this character needs to burn in a fire. Um, but the, uh, you know, pointing out that indeed there are so many more safeguards that are put into place when there's a proper DHD, uh, engaged with the system that, 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 you know, this is making sense. This is, this is very sensible. Like, yes, when the, when, when the gate and a DHD are working as a unit, as was intended, all of these problems are accounted for. And that is not present with the, with the dialing program that was written to even make the thing go in the first place several years ago now. Right. Um, all good. All good. How, how that jerk presented that information, of course, was the point. And I'm, you know, appropriately like grumpy at this character, but whatever. Um, yeah, all this information about the gate. Yeah. So there's that. Then there was just like everything else, man. Okay. So we got, um, things ranging from, uh, Simmons, like just turning up the nefariousness to 11 on this one. Um, forcing the general into a position of like, you know, are you really asking me for this? Like, are you, is this, is this actually happening? Because like, like the only reason why this thing even might happen the way that Simmons wanted it to is because of like, you know, he would get a, like, he'd get a 10 hour head start before like Hammond would be like, okay, well this happened and he broke the law in these ways, go arrest him. Um, 
we have this, we have Dr. McKay, who is just so terrible, <laughs> so terrible of a person, just terrible of a person. Um, and just insulting our very good hero, uh, Sam, like, come on, like major Carter is not anyway, somebody to, to be treated so lightly. Um, and there was that, uh, there was, uh, oh yeah. The, the, the scene between, um, Mayborn and O'Neill in the gas Mm -hmm. station was delightful. Oh yeah. That was great. Loved that. Also, it definitely seems like Mayborn took a few uh, lynda.com courses on how to be a better uh, hacker because he definitely stepped up his game since pulling the <laughs> floppy out of the freezer. Um, he's gotten a lot more sophisticated, let me tell you. Um, which that was good just just from a just just from a like a like a that wasn't character development. That was just making that character a little bit more plausible. Like that's sure. all that really was, yep. but still it was nice to see just like, you know, Hey, he's bouncing his signal off of five different satellites. Um, we're, we're, we're starting to move up a little bit in, in hacker. Um, uh, what else happened in this episode, man? There was like a billion things. Oh yeah. The Russians. Oh you my gosh. Talking about the Russians. No, like, like the negotiation with the Russians, like even, all that was super duper. Like, plausible and watching that whole thing kind of play out was really delightful. And then, and then, and then, and then, and then, and then speaking of Russians and technology and everything else that kind of comes to bear, the DHD explodes. Like the bargaining chip is now gone. Like the thing that they were arguing over the most. And, and I'm interested to see how that's going to play out in the future because that was literally the only, like, it's like, all right, you can use this, but we're coming along with it. And this is like a favor and you only get to use it for a little bit. And then, and then the Stargate program blows it up. Boom. Yeah. yeah. Like, what are they gonna What are they gonna do about that? Anyway, so um, man, there was a lot going on in this one. So, and to wrap it up, there was a bunch going on, but it didn't really feel like there were fifteen stories going on. It, you know, wait, we didn't even talk about uh, Conrad or was that his name? Whatever, you know, Adrian Google. Conrad. Yeah, the Google yeah. guy. Um. Nor did we talk about like you know how convenient it was to get the inf- exactly the information that they need. You know, there were, the, that part was a little bit spongy. Like I, I believe it, but it's just it's just not clicking with me how Simmons could have been able to get that kind of information. Like, what did Simmons offer? Maybe that's it. Is that I don't think we ever found out what Simmons offered the Gould. Oh, the hand device. Well, that's what okay, no, so we know that that Simmons asked for the hand device, which suggests that probably uh, the Gould wanted it for something. Yeah. But uh, it, it's safe to say that even if Simmons were to have gotten the hand device, he would not have been giving it to the uh, the Gould. So how was he able to uh, navigate that in such a way that? Uh, um, he was able to convince him that he was going to at least potentially get the, the hand device and all of that stuff. So, you know, they, they say that Simmons is really good at this and we never get to see it, which um, is, is fine, but it's also like, oh, I want to know what that's like. Yeah. D- quick aside, though it is related, I can't recall if we have seen Simmons tell a falsehood in his screen time. Hmm. Not saying he didn't stretch the truth, not saying he didn't selectively say precisely what he wanted to for his own gain, 
But I'm sitting here like, I don't know if we've ever seen him just absolutely falsify something. Yeah. And why do I say that? Because at first I was like, well, he could have told the ghoul that he was going to give him a hand device and then not meant it. But we haven't really seen the character of Simmons willing to go down that path. Not trying to build a very strong argument on that observation, just kind of along the lines of like, oh, that technically I think might be against character if so, he lied. So I think you're right that that I can't recall any specific times where Simmons has outright lied. Right. Um, and that said, um, I think he's sufficiently subtle that if he were to talk about Mm, uh, yeah. things with the Gua Wuld, uh, he might insinuate the possibility that you could possibly get your hands on it, you know, if you assist me with this and other things yeah. in the future. Right. Um, which means that if he does get his hands on the, the hand device, uh, then he can say, see, I have this, and not give it to the Gua Wuld straight away, but right. hold that as a bargaining chip over yeah, the ghoul yeah. world without right. strictly speaking lying he right. does he's very good at manipulating yes uh things you know and you see that at the beginning of this he's like you know what you have made a very good argument that we need to keep this program running at all costs and all yeah. of this stuff and so we can't just sit here indefinitely waiting for you to figure this out so that we working with the russians we're not prepared to do that so you have a time limit you know, uh, things like that. All of that is is true. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the way he manipulates that yeah. is really expertly done. And I think that might be sort of like the overall compliment that I have for this episode. There's a lot going on. A lot mm -hmm. going on. Um, but each step felt logical and plausible and reasonable. And... With a couple of steps being kind of pretty long steps. Like, um, I didn't get to see Colonel Chekhov just lose it when the DHD blew up, which he probably would have, right? Instead, we see the actor portray Colonel Chekhov as being very much concerned about the safe return of a... You know what I mean? Like, like he's looking like a human. He's looking like a person uh, concerned about our hero, and that's okay. Um, and the moment where I'm like, wait, wait, wait. The DHD just blew up. Why? That's going to be a problem, isn't it? Like, I didn't get to see the the foreshadowing of that, of looking at a particularly, like, distraught and angry-looking Russian. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so in that respect, that step didn't feel, like, that felt like it was a bit of a too far of a step. But regardless, every moment along the A, B, C, D story, right? Right. Gates broken, jerk scientist, Mayborn and O'Neill and uh, the Russian negotiation. Right. <laughs> There's a lot going on in the story. <laughs> so, so, like, this episode here um, was an episode that, that the, the original uh, kernel that got this episode going for Cooper mm -hmm. was an episode of MASH where somebody has to get something fixed. And in order to get something fixed, they need something else. And in order to get that something else, they mm -hmm. need something yeah. else. And yeah. so then there's this whole long process of trying to get the thing to get the thing to get the thing to get the thing so that you can give the thing to the other thing and, and uh, so you can get the thing finished. Now, obviously, right. this episode goes way different than that. It doesn't end up yes. like that at all. Um, 
which is perfectly fine. I, you know, but what you end up getting here is you have Sam's story, Jack's story, and yeah. Daniel's story, and they yeah. are all almost completely independent of each other. Yet they are all working in concert with one another for the shared goal of trying to get Teal'c back. And that's done remarkably well. I was going to say, like, you're right. Where they intersect, it makes sense. Where Mm -hmm. they intersect, it actually advances all of them. Mm -hmm. Though when 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 they go back on their own paths, they continue to develop independently. And then they all resolve. And the resolution isn't that goofy. The worst of it is that I didn't get to see a Russian lose his mind. Right? Like... That's the biggest criticism I have right now. The other criticism I have at the end is um, the the timing is so uh, storyline convenient. Well, I've got to uh, start the the styling system on. Okay, okay. There's the team right down there. Yep. Mm -hmm. Two, (laughs) two and a half. Three. Wait, wait, wait. Wait, 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 wait. (laughs) You know, um, so so the timing there, uh, I I don't have a problem with it per se, but it is very, very uh, television storyline coming to the end of the plot line and we got to keep things going. Uh, It's got that that sense to it, but it does fit. I mean, It, it, it fits. Yes. Super tidy, like suspiciously tidy, but. At a meta level, it's like, hey, you know what you guys did, just did? You actually pulled it off. Yeah. You actually managed yeah. to get these four stories to line up in 42 minutes of television. Yep. Dang. Yep. <laughs> yep. So I, I talked an awful lot. What do, you, what, do you, what do you think about this? Well, so, you know, I enjoy this episode. Um, a, uh, I have the benefit of knowing uh, where McKay goes. And yeah. while... In this episode, I can't say there's a whole lot redeemable about McKay and the fact that he gets sent to the Russian, the Russians uh, at the end is just a, a beautiful bit of schadenfreude. Uh, you know, yeah. I, I, it makes me happy to see that he gets stuck going to the <laughs> Russians and all of that stuff. Um, you know, so all of that is, is, is wonderful. Uh, but I like the character of McKay, and I like where the character of McKay is taken, not only in you know in, in the future episodes and such. And so this is an episode where we get to meet him. Um, and so that's cool. And so we get to see him begin by uh, definitely being an antagonist uh, oh and potentially a bad guy. He calls uh, Sam a dumb blonde. Y- uh, you know, absolutely. Mm. Um, anyway. No, anyway, I mean, I will say on. this, that, that even it's, it's determined even in this episode, and we see more of this in the future, that when it comes to Technobabble and understanding the Stargate, there is probably nobody else besides Carter and McKay on that level. Yeah. They, so, you know, they are definitely both, and you get that in this episode. You get, I yep. mean, he clearly knows his stuff. He yes. He sees things in a different way than Sam, and that's not a bad thing. Um, right. What what is not good is that uh, McKay has no functional social skills. Um, 
no, you, yes, you're a hundred percent. I'm laughing because it's like there's a piece of me that thought that's understatement of the year and we're only in early January. Yeah. Um, but yes, I know what you're saying. I know what you're well, saying. Well, you know, I mean, I I, I don't want to minimize. Um, no, 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 no. The no, language no, no. she's using. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You know, no, hundred percent. Uh, but it comes from not a lack of intelligence or lack of knowledge or expertise. It comes from. Uh, an inability to have like human contact. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, he and a healthy dose of misogyny. Well, okay, he's also super narcissistic. Uh, yeah, and within uh, dude, that narcissism, dude. narcissism. Yeah, uh, you you've got the misogyny. You're absolutely right. Um, and it comes. I still think it comes. Um, even the misogyny he comes from a lack of ability to communicate with others um and um we we get that little throwaway line that he finds dumb blondes sexy right so he clearly thinks that she's hot and he's attracted to her in some way yeah okay and now you get the reality is that people who think other people are cute have a hard time talking to the people they think are cute and this isn't healthy behavior <laughs> it's not healthy behavior i'm not defending the behavior 100 percent. and i know i know i know i get it i, I get it i get it I, I i'm there's so much eye rolling and it's not fair to take an episode from early 2002 written for sci-fi with a with a stereotypical chauvinistic scientist geek person. Like I get it. And and put it up against 2021 standards and to say you know, why didn't they get this right? No. I, it's not that. It's it's me just um seeing moments in my young adult life where where uh the the sort of the popular culture evidence of what has been what I have later learned to be a reality for so many people, but I didn't really appreciate it at that time. It was it's just a it's just a moment where it's it's just being played out and it's like, oh my gosh, wow. And it's played up and it's it's there's a spotlight shown on it. And I'm glad to hear that this character ends up evolving into something that is much more enjoyable to watch than, than what was presented here, um, which is good news. Uh, it, it's tough. It's tough to watch. Sure. So a couple of things, a couple of things. One, as I was watching the commentary last night, uh, yeah. the director of this episode, Peter West was making a comment that, um, even in 2001, the types of stuff that McKay was saying and doing was not PC. It was not appropriate even then. I mean, it was obviously done to make everyone go, wow, this guy is terrible. You know, like, yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and of course, you know, so we're at, and, and, you know, in this situation, we can we can argue about the behavior. And I, I well, I don't think we have to argue, but we can both agree that the behavior itself is inappropriate and is unhelpful and unhealthy for everybody involved. Mm -hmm. um, to to paint this character in that way isn't necessarily a mistake, uh, especially because he is, in this episode, the antagonist, or one of the yes. antagonists. Uh, and so what we get to see is Carter standing up to that. 
And we have Carter being able to say, you know, screw you. Um, and, and holding her own. Now, should she have to do that? Well, no, but she's able to do that. So that's good. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so uh, I, I want to, there's this fine line that I want to be able to appreciate the character and the value of being able to portray that character well while not um, uh, not excusing the behavior. Right. Um, but also saying that I think the behavior uh, appropriately fits the story that's being told and the antagonist development. I mean, David Hewlett and Amanda Tapping nailed that out of the park. Yes. Like, it's extraordinarily well acted like it, it it right on down the line like it's supremely well acted the character of of dr mckay right now i've got a big problem with huge problem with um and to hear that dr mckay is going to be a regular fixture very, very, very strictly, narrowly speaking, has me concerned right now. I completely trust you. I know that they're going to do something nice with the character. Like, I get it. I, I You know, 100%. In, in a similar way to how how Zach Gunn's work got a little bit of a rework, mm-hmm. um, Dr. McKay's personality and his motivations, etc. is probably going to get a bit of a rework. And it's going to be fine. I'm totally willing to keep rolling with it. Right. I would that, say I would say this that that I mean certainly as as time goes on there is a little bit of a rework and tweak but I would see it more as a sign of character development rather than character rework. So what we see in the future with McKay is not that he suddenly becomes somebody different than he is now but that he is a character that um grows and develops and over time becomes something better than what he was. And yeah. that, Good. I actually think, is even better than just simply reworking the character. Um, because, um, and this is actually a good thing, and I don't know if, uh, I certainly didn't plan for it ahead of time specifically, but, but especially for the 21st century now, when we're trying to, so one of the worst things that we have going on right now is the thing called toxic masculinity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and certainly uh, McKay is an example of toxic masculinity. Um, what we don't have are very strong uh, portrayals of toxic masculinity being changed. Um, and this, I think, in you know my rec- recollection of yeah. McKay yeah. over the course of specifically Atlantis, because that's where yep. we really get him, uh, is a story of of that being able to change and that is a good thing for for the 21st century yeah good good yes good to know my frustration is rooted in um my frustration is probably i, I pro- there's a piece of me that probably should come to expect this but it is a little f- fatiguing to have to see another moment where uh, a person who is a hero is being second guessed (laughs) 
is being second guessed and it has a lot to do with her identity um that that McKay might be a very 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 smart person who has understood a lot of the information um but he tr- the character treats a beloved hero poorly um because she's a woman so and i i i will acknowledge and 100% uh, except that in this episode, that is, that's yes. what we see. Um, one of the things that I appreciate as we learn more about McKay is that he is an equal opportunity offender. Um, sure, that's so, a weak. So, that's a weak uh, defense. Well, I okay. hear you, but my my but, point is you know, that yeah. that he. You're saying he's a. He's such an asshole to the entire world that it's not him going against Sam because he, because she's a woman. It's him going against Sam because she exists. I would say it's actually. I mean, we don't learn this so much from this episode, but this sure. is a little bit of a spoiler. But we learn that 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 uh, a goodly large chunk of McKay's behavior towards Sam is because deep down he is incredibly intimidated by her. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That yes. she, yeah. It, it, he, he's always been the best and the brightest everywhere he's been. Everywhere he's been, he's been the best and brightest, and now he's found somebody who legitimately challenges him for the best and the brightest, and in fact beats him, and he doesn't know how to deal with that. Yeah. And, um, you know, so that's his growing edge. I, I still trust your judgment regarding this character going forward, no question. Um, I'm going on record as being like, you, gross, frustrating. I, I see it. I, I imagine that living through that experience is, well, I've had versions of living through that experience, just not quite to that degree or to that level of, you know, like being questioned on your expertise because of an identifier marker is really frustrating. Like it's yeah. profoundly frustrating. Yeah. Um, and not being able to convince somebody that you actually know what the heck you're talking about is also extremely frustrating. And uh, so <laughs> suck a lemon <laughs> and getting sent off to Siberia. Yes, um, 100%. But indeed, again, to the point, Zach, I trust your judgment. I'm glad to hear that uh, this recurring character is going to be a pleasure to watch, not a burden to watch. Um, yeah, so I, I look forward to hearing uh, your thoughts on McKay as yeah. uh, we learn more and more about him. And keep in mind sure. also that in this episode here, he was originally conceived of as a, a one-shot guest appearance. Yeah, um, totally. And there you have it. And because mm-hmm. David Hewlett did such a great job with the character, they're like, yeah. We should bring that character back. Um, and then they bring him back on a more permanent basis. Yep. So. I mean, again, like, for real, Hewlett did a great job. Like, Hewlett and tapping. It was it was believable. It was visceral, obviously. Yeah. Man, I had a huge reaction to it. Mm-hmm. So, supremely well done. Yep. Yep. Okay. Is there anything else that we need to talk about this episode? Um... Normally, I go, yep, nope, I'm done, because we really are done. I really got to think about it. <laughs> there was a lot in this episode. There was. 
I'm pretty sure we're good to go. I'm pretty yeah. sure we're ready to, to move along. I am fairly certain that we missed some key things and we didn't chew on enough things hard enough. Uh, And so this is when I point to our listeners and say, help us out. Um, Yes. You know, when this is there's so much in this episode uh, that, uh, you know, what do we what do we miss? Because I'm sure we missed something. Mm -hmm. Okay. Indeed. So then I ask you, Brent. As you examine this episode 48 hours, as you Mm -hmm. uh, think about your experiences of it, how many chevrons will you give it? This is a very complicated answer because the parts that I liked a whole lot about the episode. However, I feel like I have enjoyed going to a tapas restaurant. And you're like, what? (laughs) It's because there are... A dozen little things that I really, really enjoyed in isolation. And they all worked together. This didn't feel quite... You know how like when you're watching like a heist movie and they come up with a plan and you're sitting there like, how's this plan going to actually work? And then they start going through it. And the best heist movies are like the ones where they're going through the plan and all of a sudden you realize how it's actually going to start clicking together and it starts clicking together and then it just turns into this magnificent thing at the end. I didn't feel like that in this episode. I felt like there were an awful lot of small parts that were going really well and they worked well and they did come together in the end and there was a bit of movie or television magic to make them kind of fit at the end, but it was forgivable and it all worked out and it was very enjoyable, but it didn't quite have that je ne sais quoi that it didn't quite have this, melding quality that actually made me feel like this was one whole thing. So I enjoyed it. There was a ton of stuff about it that I really liked. I really liked watching the various bits and bobs of the thing. And I liked how it kind of got us to a a new spot of understanding in a whole lot of ways, but it didn't really feel like a great episode. So I'm going to give this one a five out of seven, pretty strong five. Like I, I did like this one, right? But not, even a six, which is a little weird, and certainly not a seven. So a five. Five out of seven for me. Five out of seven. Okay. So how about you? Uh I'll start off by giving my number. Uh okay. I'm gonna give this a six out of seven. Yep. And mm-hmm. and here's why. Um you mentioned this early on that uh there was a lot of techno babble. There was a lot of stuff. Uh the Stargate itself almost became its own character. Yes. In this episode, and I really liked that. I really liked that how uh, how we learned about the the mechanisms of the Stargate and how you know things kind of operate and it's crystalline technology and there's a power that imprints something on it and clearly that imprint is like permanently stuck there on some sort of atomic level until yeah. energy is used to wipe it clean or whatnot. So McKay's uh, supposition that the the picture of teal comes in uh, the actual energy coursing through the the crystal and not on the crystal itself. It's sort of like you know a solid state hard drive. Um, yep. Right. Uh, in that regard, um, so you know I I like that. I liked um, the the story of of Jack and the story of Sam and the story of Daniel. Um, and they are three different stories, really legitimately mm-hmm. are. You could have uh, made each one of those its own episode. Yeah, um, and theoretically, yet at the same, for sure. Theoretically, um, and yet at the same time, you get the... I, I don't feel like... 
I'm missing any of the story. You know, I would have, I wouldn't have, I, I loved to, you know, it's not like they got shortchanged. Um, yep. The whole story for each of those things came through um, and they all felt like the A story. Um, and we were questioning whether or yeah, not they were A, B, yeah. C, D. Um, I mean, I guess technically the A story was finding Teal'c, but which one of these... <laughs> there was A1, A2, A3, and A4. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> uh, so, and, 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 you know, so, like, the fact that, that Cooper was able to write this script in yeah. such a way that each of these characters got uh, exactly what they needed for this, uh, it works well. I like the introduction of McKay. Um, I hate McKay right now. I'm so mm-hmm. glad he's in uh, Siberia. Um, <laughs> you know, so yes. we don't have to deal with him. Maybe he'll cool himself off a maybe little bit. Maybe that, yes. Maybe he'll grow up a little bit in that time. Um, you know, who knows? Um, but, uh, you know, so we get Simmons back. We get Mayborn back. Uh, we f- continue. And also, like, there, there was so much meta in this story, right? There's so mm-hmm. much meta stuff going in. Like, like all of these A prime, A prime prime, A prime prime prime, <laughs> you know, uh, are, are all about uh, the meta stories. Um, yes. And, you know, we expand Mayborn, we expand Simmons, we expand Conrad, we expand yeah. the Russians. Um, you know, we we finish off one thread with the death of Tanith, and we didn't even talk a whole lot about that. But well, that's because I mean that that was that was a weird write off. I get yeah. it, sensible, but still, that was that when he died. I'm like, wait, what? And then we moved right on. <laughs> <laughs> but but even we moved that right along, even that. Um, uh, so like when when Sokar dies, you know, Sokar's going to be this terrible monster, and then boom, he's dead. Yeah. Um, this is better, for me, is better than that. Um, this is almost one of those types you're like, I expect this big showdown, and it's just like, no, bang. It's sort of like me, uh, like like uh, uh, Indiana Jones, who just, rather than whipping the bad guy yes. with his whip, just pulls out his gun and shoots him. Why? Because him. Harrison yep. Ford has a headache that day. Yes. He had the flu. Uh, the flu. Yeah. Same yes. difference. Same difference. Um, You're right. You know, Tanith um, bites it. Apophis bites it. Sokar bites it. They all bit it and wait. Her, her bit it in a born. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, this is more common than not. Now that I say it. Yeah. So, in any case, um, for all those reasons, Hathor. I think I, I like it. It works for me. Well, Hathor's death is just good. Just get rid of her. Just. <laughs> <laughs> Chuck her in a chuck her in a dry ice smoke in the deep freeze. <laughs> yep. Ah, oh, boy. Anyway, sorry. Carry on. They said burst to Siberia too. Oh, oh. oh. Zing. All right. Shall we? <laughs> um, yeah. Actually, I'm kind of interested. I'm always interested in hearing what people say about these things. That's yep. for sure. Our first prediction comes from JD. Hey, JD. I love Rodney McKay, he says, as a character because I hate Rodney McKay as a character. Mm -hmm. Honestly, the best part of this is the Rodney-Sam dynamic that is so frustratingly, irritatingly delicious. On top of that, the acting is excellent and as as, as excellent as is, as is getting another fun part of gate lore. My own number Mm -hmm. would be a five and a half, Chevron. Nice. Hey, right between us. So I'm that. guessing a five for Brent. <gasps> yes. 
And a five and a half for Zach. Dang, super Ooh. close. JD, you like nailed it almost there. Almost I mean, right on the money. Yeah. Well done. Uh, Brent will enjoy the story and the tension. Zach will love the Stargatey things. Um, yep. That's true, and that's true. Uh, there could possibly be discussion about life, death, quantum thingies that could change the scores, but it's got to be on the good side of meh. Oh yeah, it is on the good side of meh. It is on we the good side of meh. Touch the the we didn't even touch the part about like like Teal'c's experience being stuck in a crystal for two days. Yes, like I said, there was a whole lot that we could have talked about. We also didn't touch anything about did Simmons really get arrested? I mean, I know he did, but like, what what's up? You know, like, is are we done with Simmons now? Time will I mean, tell. No, time, time will tell. tell. All right, Kimberly. Hi, Kimberly. Kimberly starts off by predicting that you'll give it a four and I will mm-hmm. give it a five. Ah, bump it up one. We Very meet close. McKay, which I think will make Zach happy. Jack and yes. Mayborn having a lovely time together will make Brent happy. Yes. I love the bromance between uh, oh, Harry gosh. and Jack. It, it's it's lovely. I mean, um, it makes Jack O'Neill the Sundance kid here. Like, yeah. come on. He's yep. Robert Redford. Yeah. It's all good. Um. It's a decent episode, she says, but there's no Bane factor or huge additions to the meta <laughs> to bump up Chevron ratings. So no Bane, Bane has become yeah. a factor now. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right. So that was from Kimberly. Thank you, Kimberly. Mm-hmm. Sean said. Hi, Sean. Great episode. Zach's birthday cake was involved in a buffer. Previous thread, which I hope you remember, or I'll sound pretty daft. Um, yes. Birthday cake buffer. What? Um, so I, now I can't remember the specifics of it, but uh, so Sean wished me a happy birthday. Um, and now I have to go back and look at that, but I think that there was a connection to this episode, at least gotcha. in, in imagery uh, and such. So uh, yeah, yeah, thank yeah, you yeah. very much for the birthday wishes, Sean, and, and everybody else who, who mentioned that. So I appreciate it. It was yeah. a good birthday. Uh, for me, this is a seven chevrons episode. Ooh, really? I love the science episodes, and this yeah, had a yeah, lot. Yeah, Plus, yeah, Mayborn and Russians, which are all good. I predict a seven for Brent and a seven for Zach. Bonus points for McKay. This episode has all the biased buffer you need. <laughs> awesome. All I, right. It is good to hear that people like to see McKay show up. Yeah. Right. Um, like, like it's good to, that bodes well for the future. Right. I, I think that, uh, I mean, you know, I haven't heard from everybody, but as a general rule, I think that uh, people respond positively to McKay yeah. um, in in the series. So recognizing that his beginning here is uh, problematic, Lucky. to say the least. <laughs> um, you know, there, there's there's growth there. Yes. <clears throat> All right, Julie says. Hi, Julie. Brent's probably going to hate McKay. Oh boy! And probably won't like how quickly they dispensed with Tanith. <laughs> oh gosh! Yep, yep, exactly right. All right, so she predicts a five and a half from me, which is very mm-hmm. close. Yes, very close. Um, and a, a five from Brent. Wow! So we have well two done, fives and fives and a half, and they were really, really close. Yes, they were. All right, we have Susan. We've got a lot. Hi, Susan. Today. Susan says. 
Teal'c in jeopardy and lots of talking as Daniel negotiates with the Russians. Sam is saddled with an obnoxious Rodney McKay. Hammond is busy fending off a sinister Simmons and Jack runs into an old friend at the store after which they yeah. get down to some action during action hunting down a Gua Wold. I give it a six bolstered yeah. by the spectacular guest star quotient of newbie Rodney McKay, Colonel yep. Frank Simmons, Harry Mayborn, yep. and Daniel yep. Sideburns. Daniel Sideburns? Daniel has some pretty wicked sideburn, sideburns there. Oh, I guess that's true. I don't, I don't, I didn't notice. Whatever. So, I believe you. Yeah. Uh, nice. So, so, so Susan says six. <laughs> yeah. uh-huh. uh, she predicts that I will give it a five and uh-huh. you will give it a four and a half because after oh. last week's score, I haven't a clue which way he'll go. <laughs> oh yeah. No, I'm a, I'm a chaos agent. You are an agent of chaos. Yes. All right, Which and is we have I'm like so not, but whatever. I oh, am here. This is where I get to sow bit. my wild oats <clears throat> in a podcast. <laughs> okay, so Woo! the word I'm looking for here side. is anyway. Anyway, uh, yeah. All right, Thank Helio. You. Hi, Helio. Helio says, "Hey, no. Rodney McKay meets Brent. Brent, uh-huh. this is Rodney McKay." Love uh-huh. him or hate him, you're going to have to live with him. <laughs> Cue, uh, I mean, Colonel Frank Simmons is back with Mayborn uh-huh. making a duet with Jack. Love the acting of Daniel and Davis in Russian negotiations when he says, so all this time we've been using the gate to save the world. We've really only been saving the good old U.S. of A. Ha! Yeah. 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 We didn't even talk about that. We could nope. have. There, there's a lot yep. there. Um, very good. I predict a seven for both Brent and Zach, unless mm. the thought of the NID safe house was too easy to attack. Um, I, it, it was hilariously easy. But if, you know, let's make the assumption here, and I think this is not unreasonable, that if uh, uh, Mayborn was able to acquire the information so relatively easy that he was able to acquire that among other things he would be able to know what the standard modus of operations mode of operations were Uh, and all that stuff uh and you had to keep the story going plus that gun yeah plus that gun yeah all right we have a couple of emails yes so we will start with caleb's email Caleb caleb says 48 hours is one of the best episodes of the season First of all, we get introduced to the character of Dr. Rodney McKay, who is my favorite Stargate character throughout the entire Stargate universe. Mm -hmm. Second, the gate they have is the Antarctic gate, which means the DHD that goes to the Egyptian gate should have never worked. We didn't even talk about that, but we could have. Huh. Uh, The seventh Chevron symbol should be different, plus they should also still have the Antarctica DHD. Anyway... I myself would give this episode eight chevrons only for the fact that this episode introduced Dr. McKay, but huh. my predictions are six for Brent and seven from Zach. <laughs> Pretty close. And I got to tell you, I am hung up on that DHG comment right now. <laughs> like, right. I, so, I guess I never thought about how, like, have we established that DHDs cannot be hot swapped? Um, so... It has not been established therein specifically. Um, 
But that seventh chevron ought to be unique, correct? Well, so like the the seventh chevron on the gate that they are currently using, which is the Antarctic gate, shouldn't be that triangular pyramid shape. And yet it has been. I just haven't mentioned it every time they've mentioned it because it's not especially it, helpful it, it's it's important if this were actually real life it's not real life therefore let's just move along right yes um uh i will say that um the issue of the antarctic dhd will be addressed in a future episode really um, it's blowed up right now <laughs> no the antarctic it's gate. currently in pieces wait the oh, the, the antarctic the dhd the, oh, the the so the I'm oh, sorry, the DHD. The Antarctic DHD yes. um, was seen in the episode um, Solitudes way back in season one, right? Yes. We saw it there. Yes. yes. Um, that will be addressed in a future episode. Um, that what DHD did we just blow up? The the Egyptian gate. Right. So 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 if we go right, back to right, our lore. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. So, you know, the Egyptian um, gate is currently or wait, no. No, I'm getting things mixed up. All right, let me let me walk you through this. So way back in the 1930s, Catherine Langford's dad yes. finds yes. the Stargate. The Egyptian gate with the, the, with the triangle gate. circle. Yes. With, yep. And that gets taken to Cheyenne Mountain and Correct. yada 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 movie, blah blah blah, all of that blah, stuff. Blah blah blah. Uh, what he never found was the, the DHD, DHD found which is why the they had to Germans. build a DHD, right? Yeah. Now, yeah. Um, what we learn in a, I think it's in Watergate that we learn this, that the um, the Germans, yes, at some point time found the, the DHD. DHD, took it to Germany. And Took it to Germany, and then during World War II, the yep. Russians were able yes. to take that from them. Yes. So the Russians Correct. have the DHD, DHD that goes with the Egyptian gate. The Egyptian now, gate. Uh, SG-1 beams yeah. up the Egyptian gate uh, onto Thor's ship, uh, and they use right. it to escape, and that ends yes. up at the bottom of the ocean, and yes. that's the gate that the Russians find. So the yes. gate that the Russians have is the original Egyptian gate. And after that happens, then the SGC pulls out the Antarctica gate gate and puts that up into place. Um, We don't ever really hear specifically what happens to the DHD uh, that will come out later on. So we'll learn what happens to that, but we don't know that yet. Um, And so that is what's in there. And so the gate that they are currently using should have a... Yes, something uh, other than a triangle circle at the top. Different than what's there. Right, right. Um, yes. You know, I've always wondered, uh, given the DHD and how it works, why do you even need a specific point of origin? Because uh, if the DHD is connected to the gate, then you go one, two, three, four, five, six, and then if you hit that big red button in the middle, that should be the point of origin button. Now, I don't think that that fits into um, standard no, Stargate lore, but because you all usually see them, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, then hit the big red button. But I think the big red button ought to just be the point of origin button because it's going. Yeah, I mean, I why... think it makes sense in this framework of what you're saying. As far yeah, yeah, you're saying why does yeah, I get it. You're saying why does the DHD have the origin button? Right. You're not saying why does the gate need an origin symbol? Right. 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 The the gate needs an origin symbol. Yes. Um. Um. But or yeah. Presumably. 
it needs an origin point. It needs an origin point, but it does. I don't know. Well, yeah. Okay, we're getting down the rabbit hole. Yeah. Yeah. All right. In any case. Okay. So we have, we do have one more prediction from David. Yes. Only 48 hours until the Chevron encoding bias buffer runs out. Did you say it was from David? I was talking over top of you. Hey, David. All right. Oh, this is, this is a long one from David. All right. Here we go. Okay. Okay. All right. Here we do. Although it was a hit at the time and launched Eddie Murphy's film career, 48 hours has not aged well. Not only that, most of the dialogue is pretty groan-worthy and trite. The biggest reason it doesn't stand the test of time is simply that its formula, the unlikely partnership cop action movie, oops, uh, sorry, sorry, wrong 48 hours. <laughs> Last week, when I was going to try to do a prediction for this one, the first thing that came to mind was that movie, but I had never seen the movie. So I couldn't, ah. so I was just like, well, I can't, I could talk about Eddie Murphy and Nick Nolte, but that's as far as I can go with it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. So David continues. I like yes. this episode because everyone, Jack, Sam, Daniel, and even General Hammond, everyone has a different and important part to play in the overall mission. Yeah. No one fiddles about doing unimportant stuff. No one is along for the ride. No one is just holding the flashlight while dad looks at the engine. Everyone <laughs> is doing something vital. We also get some nice callback continuity. We move the overall plot forward and some B characters come back with Q, Business Guawuld, and the Russian General Hammond. Top it <laughs> off with an intellect in, 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 top it off with an intellectual rival to Samantha Carter in the form of Rodney McKay. Yes, he may be a jerk, but he's our jerk. Brent, I assume by now that Zach or someone has said something about Rodney's future to you. <laughs> yes. And it's a good thing they did, too. But carrying on. Carrying on. The main problem here is that it's another hero in Jeopardy story, and we know that Teal'c has plot armor that he will that will save him yet again. Perhaps yes. if it had been SG-2 that was right behind Jack but never came through, then the tension would have been more real. Good I mean, point. they might kill off another SG team, but a main character... So that's actually Brent a really good observation. Well, pre- yeah. he predicts five chevrons because it's got so Perfect. much going on that ties it all together. But Teal'c's plot armor holds it back. Uh, Zach Fair. predicts he predicts five and a half chevrons for continuity and Rodney. Yeah. That was three people who predicted yeah. a five for you and a five yeah. and a half for me. Yeah. I yeah. feel like I made a mistake in my own rating. <laughs> no, 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 no. There's no such thing. No such thing. Oh, so good, though. Super duper good. All right. Yeah. So those are our predictions. Thank you very much, everybody. Yes. Who thank you very uh, much. shared your thoughts on that? I appreciate that. This is one of my favorite segments. Absolutely. Um, now, uh, recognizing that we are running long, so we do need to press this forward. Uh, yes, as, we do. Uh, so next week's episode is actually a two-parter, Brent. So next oh. time we'll be watching two episodes and discussing them together as a unit. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Now. Do you want me to give you the name of the first episode? The name of both episodes? Do you want one of them uh, and then the other? How do you want to do so this? So we're going to watch them both together. So give me both at once and I'll okay. try to figure out what, what it's about. All right. So the first episode is entitled Summit. Okay. And the second episode is entitled Last Stand. And so okay. I ask you, what does Summit and last stand what's that about okay 
Next time on Stargate SG-1, the SG-1 team travel through the gate to find themselves in a strange world. The world is icy cold, and the world is very snowy, and it takes a long time to get there under normal circumstances. The SG-1 team arrive to find themselves only a part of what it turns out to be several other people. They all gather to enjoy time together. Why? Because they can, and they only do it once in a great while. Uh, they find themselves in a bit of a collective where it is determined that in order to proceed with the story, they have to engage in games of skill and cunning. They sit down at a grand table and give themselves a mission to accomplish some kind of epic aspect of enjoyment of some kind. Anyway, they all are doing this thing and it's this grand summit. But no, but wait, there becomes a problem. Indeed, as they are attempting to go through this effort, they discover that the actions that they are taking at the table have real-life consequences. <gasps> Somehow, they have to endure some kind of amazing attack from what can only be described as magical creatures. Somehow, using this, this amazing power to bend space and do weird things like shoot lightning bolts out of their fingers or something. And they all have to <laughs> band together as they confront the big bad evil guy in the last stand join us next time on stargate sg1 where brent makes an incredible inside reference that literally only three listeners will get summit and the last stand so is this about the epic summit um hmm well i, I will say gotta be I will say that, uh, incidentally, for all of those who don't understand, so Brent and I and several oh, other friends... Oh, you have to explain it? Oh, it's not a good joke if you have to explain it. Okay, so... Oh, our... So everybody else doesn't get it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, carry on, carry on, carry on. No, 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 Brent says I can't explain it, so if you want to know, you'll have to ask me on Facebook oh. where Brent's not around. Oh, there you go. <laughs> oh, there you go, nice. Good way uh, to tie I... it all in. I will say, Brent, yeah. that there is, in fact, a summit in this. Shocker. Yep. <laughs> and I will say that yeah. uh, there is an, a last stand in this okay. episode. Okay. Kay. Wait a minute. Uh, uh, okay. Uh, as in a last stand? Well... I guess we'll just have to find out. We'll have to wait and find out. Are you okay. uh, interested in watching the uh, <laughs> promo? Yes. Not only am I interested, produced. I am ready. I am ready, waiting with bated breath. Okay. So. <gasps> That's the bated part. Okay. Well, don't, don't suffocate yourself. Cause, no. All right. I'm hitting play now. Next time on a special two-part Stargate SG-1. declared a truce. And now it looks as if they're going to have a meeting to discuss the establishment of a new order. Oh! Every system lord in attendance will be permitted to create one human slave. Someone oh, who speaks oh, fluent Guam. Someone who is not your father. We will wait until all the system lords have arrived, and then you will use this. These two liquids mixed together form a most virulent poison. While the system lords meet, the Tok'ra are under siege by a new enemy. An ancient enemy who wishes to rejoin the system lords. Sarah's here. Sarah. Oh! You mean Osiris? Did she recognize you? 
Oh! oh no, I think so. Who is this new enemy that even the system lords fear? Yes, sir. Anubis. What? Wait, you lie. It's all next time on Star Citizen's life is more important. Complete your mission. Oh boy! Oh! Oh boy! Osiris is back! Osiris is back! Osiris is back and you're gonna be in trouble. Hey now, hey now, Osiris is back. Doesn't quite work. Doesn't really work that way. No, no, no. Too many S's. Um, uh, so thank you very much, David, for that. Yes, thank uh, you, I David. appreciated that. That was awesome. And yes, that was cool. Okay. What? Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Is it it's like not me important. with the Epic Summit? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. The, you know, so so don't worry about it. In any case. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so we will be uh, reviewing both of those episodes, Summit and Last Stand together next time. Um, uh-huh. So it'll be fun to see what happens there. Uh, as we mentioned before, this episode has a whole lot of stuff that we did not get a chance to talk all about. Uh, so by all means, shoot us an email, uh, find us on Facebook or Twitter and talk to us. Tell us uh, all about those various things that we missed. Um, mm-hmm. Chew on it, you know, think about it, uh, engage people in conversation, all of those things. Uh, walking through the Stargate at gmail.com, at Stargate Walking, and of course the Facebook page. Yep. Um, all of those things. So thanks for listening. Uh, I'm Zach. And I'm Brent. And this has been Walking Through the Stargate. See you next time. Bye. Carter, dial it up. Get these people home.